You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Joshua. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. The victorious Christian lifts up his eyes to heaven from whence his help comes from. As a victorious Christian, we know where our help comes from. We accept everything as coming from the throne of God. Good, bad, whatever. We accept it as coming from the throne of God, very much like Job. One commentator said this, No trial will ever disarm me. No sorrow will ever disturb me. No circumstance will ever cause me to fret. For I shall rest in the joyful victory my Lord has won. When life becomes overwhelming and circumstances seem too difficult, where do we fix our eyes? In today's message from Pastor Dave, we learn that the victorious Christian looks to the Lord. There is no trial too big that he can't overcome. Stay encouraged and rest in the joyful victory the Lord has won. Now here's Pastor Dave with today's edition of Cape Watch Radio. Can you say, Jesus, you are my shield. You are my shield, you alone. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think it's the other way around. Joshua knew this. He knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that the Lord was on his side, and better yet, as we talked about earlier, Joshua knew that he, bless you, that he was on the Lord's side. Joshua knew that he was on the Lord's side. Very interesting. I'm going back to Joshua now. Very interesting in verse 5. Very interesting in verse 5. The name, the waters of Merom, M-E-R-O-M, Merom. Very interesting. The waters of Merom are found in a valley. They're found in a valley known as Megiddo. That name should ring a huge bell to you because we studied it in the book of Revelation. In the valley of Megiddo, there will be a great battle, the last battle in the book of Revelation, the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo. Here you have, in the exact same place, this mass battle taking place. So what can we glean from this? And I've told you before that in the Old Testament, you see types. Joshua, we said before, is a type of Christ. So here you have a picture of the last battle of Armageddon, where Joshua is against all of these armies that number the sand of the sea. Our Joshua, Jesus Christ, will defeat the armies of the world at Armageddon, according to what we read in the book of Revelation. I think it's pretty cool. And in verse 6, let's look at verse 6. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. I love it when the Lord encourages us. You know, there's nothing hidden under the sun to the Lord. The Lord knows everything. Why do you think he came to Joshua and said, don't be afraid? Because Joshua was probably afraid. (laughs) He was probably looking out there and going, wait a minute. He looked back at his army. And look back at there at that army and says, wait a minute, we have a slight discrepancy here, Lord. There's a few more of them than there are of us. The Lord says, don't be afraid. Remember when we studied the book of Acts? Remember after Paul's dejection 
at Athens and he went to Corinth and he ended up in jail. Remember, the Lord came to him and said, be of good courage, Paul. The Lord always comes to us in our time of need. He always comes to us with words of encouragement. He always comes to us and say, stand strong, Christian. I'm with you. Stand strong, Christian. I've got this licked. Stand strong. I'm at work here. The Lord encourages Joshua to move forward. Why did he encourage him to move forward? Because the Lord says to him, I've already given you the land. Just go possess it. And it just drives me crazy. A lot of things drive me crazy. But anyhow, this just, 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 we've been given so much by the Lord. We have been given everything for life and godliness. We haven't been given an abundant life. But just like the Israelites who had to go in and possess that abundant life, we have to possess the abundant life that we've been given. We have to take it for our own. And so many of us, so many of us choose to be the two and a half tribes that stay on the other side of the river. We're happy with the blessings of the Lord. Oh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I don't need all that other stuff. You're missing out on so much. We're missing out on blessing after blessing after. Yes, there are going to be battles. I won't lie to you. Yes, there are going to be battles. But the God has been victorious in all the battles. God has won the battle on the cross. It's over. It's finished. Oh, we should we take what's ours? Lord comforts Joshua. When we meet an enemy that's larger than us, the Lord comforts us too. Enemy could be sickness, could be a financial problem, could be a relationship problem, could be an addiction, it even could be death. The Lord is there as our comfort. The Lord is there as our shield to protect us, to guide us and to lead us. We have this thing. We are not the fear. How many times do you read in the gospel when Jesus appeared, he would say, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because fear will lead us into unbelief. Fear is the opposite of faith. Believe that what I say is true. Believe that my words are true. See, this is what the Lord is trying to impress upon Joshua. Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't stumble now with fear because you're going to turn into unbelief. Believe what I've told you. Have I failed? Have I failed to do anything I said I would, Joshua? Believe it. I've done it. Please move forward in victory. He's telling us the same thing today. Has Jesus failed to do anything he would say to do on the cross? No, he hasn't. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are washed away clean. And we can move victoriously in this life. The burden of sin is gone. The guilt is gone. But we need to possess that. and claim that's, that's ours in Christ. Jesus says, don't fear. Fear stalls our faith and leads us into unbelief. What confidence this must have been for Joshua. What comfort Joshua must have felt when he heard this. See, as a leader, he was downtrodden every now and then. You know, he had a big crew, a big job on his hand. He was trying to lead these millions of people into a, a rest, into a promised victory. Let's read 7. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook of Mezeroth, and to the valley of eastward. They attacked them. They left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. You got to love Joshua's boldness. He attacks them suddenly. You got to love his strategy. He surprised them with an ambush against Gan. But Joshua fought in obedience. 
Joshua stepped out in faith and said, okay, Lord, you told me to do it. I'm doing it. Oh, it's so hard for us. It's so, so hard for us to step out in faith when the Lord tells us to do it. It's so, so difficult. But the reward when you do, let me tell you, the reward when you do is incredible. It is most incredible. But oh, how hard it is for us to step out in faith. But when the Lord wants to get something done, it will be accomplished. Have you ever sat in a circle? I have, and it's happened to me several times. Ever sat in a circle praying? The Lord puts upon your heart somebody to pray for, but you don't. The Lord keeps putting it upon your heart to pray for this person, but you don't. And you know it's the Lord because it keeps saying, pray for this person, pray for this situation, pray, and you don't. And then all of a sudden, someone across the room prays for the exact same thing you were going to pray for. And the Lord says, see, if you don't want to do it, I'll get somebody else. You missed the blessing. No, he doesn't say that. But that, the Lord, it's so difficult for us to step out in faith when we hear the Lord's voice. It's difficult for us. Joshua knew the Lord was faithful. We should know our Lord is faithful. We should step out when the Lord commands us. We should go in obedience. We must do all that he requires. As we move on, verses 10 through 15, Joshua turned back at the time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazar only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock and the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. The defeat is finished. One commentator said the staggering completeness of the destruction, especially in human terms, shows the completeness of God's judgment. Israel's obedience, and it also shows the depravity of the Canaanites. A lot of people question, why did God wipe everybody out? Why wasn't God of love generous and faithful and graceful to these people? We're going to get to that in a minute. We'll talk about that in one second. Let's finish out 16 through 20. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the descent to Sair, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them with the sword and killed them. Joshua ate more for a long time with those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites and the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle. For it was 
of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. The victory is complete. We're told that this is the judgment on the Canaanites was accomplished when God hardened their hearts. The hardening of men's heart is what God does when he gives them over to their sin. How long did God wait for them? How long did God give them to repent? Anybody know? Did God give them any time to repent? About 400, at least 440 years, maybe more. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis 15, when, when God was showing Abraham what was going to happen, he told them that this nation that he was building was going to have to go into Egypt. And they were going to have to be slaves there. But then he says in verse 16 of 15, But in the fourth generation they shall return to me, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. He gave them over 400 years to repent. He gave them over 400 years to see his work. And even as the land was being conquered, they still had time to turn to God. They still had time to turn to God. We need not think that God parceled out some particular judgment against the Canaanites. He dealt with their hearts in the same way he deals with all men's hearts. But God's grace either hardens the heart or it softens it. Obviously, it hardened it here. The hardening of men's heart when God gives them over. We talked about it on Sunday in Romans 1. God gives them over to what they want. He gives them over to what they want. And finally, we see in verses 20 and 21, 21 and 22, excuse me. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains from Hebron, from Dair and from Ab, from the mountains of Judah and from all of the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Anakim. They were an exceptionally large and strong people. These are the ones that spies saw when they first went in the land. These great big people. And they came back and said, there's giants in the land. These were the Anakim. None of the Anakim were left in the hand of the children of Israel. All the falls fell from 40 years ago. They were no match for the army that was blessed by God and directed by God. It's interesting and significant that Israel faced the Anakim last only after God had trained them for battle and worked with them after months of conquest. This conquest, although it took several pages in Joshua, took years. It took a long time. When Israel refused to enter Canaan because of the Anakin, they didn't realize that God would manage their affairs that they would once again face them. It's interesting, though. It's interesting when you look at this. They first faced the Anakim, and they were afraid. There's giants in the land. So they ran from them in unbelief. And then now they face them again. How many times in your life has there been something that God placed you before you that maybe he wanted you to deal with? Or maybe he wanted you to repent of? Or maybe he wanted you to conquer? But because of fear, because of unbelief or whatever, you don't. You don't give it to God. You don't try to conquer it. And then lo and behold, you're sitting there and all of a sudden, guess what? It comes back around again. I've been here before. I've seen this, you know. Well, maybe now you're... More ready. Maybe the Lord has taught you many things. And he showed you his faithfulness. Maybe he showed you how wonderful of a God he is. And now you're more ready to trust him in this instance. And I got news for you. If you don't trust him at that time, guess what? It'll come back around again. 
It'll continually come back around again until you and he deal with it. That's what you see what's happening here. We all must allow God to manage these types of battles. We're all too often we're convinced that we have to go out and fight the Anakim first when God would rather us fight them last. It's interesting that they go to Gaza and they go to Gath and in Ashtod. They remain only in the coastal cities. Now, I was reading one commentator who commented on this and said that in the coastal cities is where the Philistines came to be. There's a real special Anakim that can be found in 1 Samuel. Anybody know his name? Goliath. Yes, Goliath. David met him in 1 Samuel. But he comes 500 years later. I guess you could say, had Israel completely destroyed everyone and not given them passage, or I don't know how they got there, but we'll talk about that at another time. But finally, look at verse 23. Obviously, this is where we'll end because we're in verse 23. I get it. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. There was rest in the land. And here we see the fruit of victory. The fruit of victory is rest. The fruit of victory is rest. Come all you labor. What will Jesus give you? Rest. He'll give you in the complete victory. The power of the Canaanite kings within the land has been crushed. And in sense, Joshua did take the whole land. But yet there were other towns and villages that needed to be conquered. And what he was going to do now and what the rest of the book talks about is how he divides the land. And each tribe in their own land must take care of those people in their land. He divides it up. I liken it to us. Christ has won the battle. Christ is victorious. But each of us have to win the battle in our own lives. Each of us have to be victorious through Jesus Christ in our own life. And this is what we see here. Jesus has defeated the enemy and he's conquered the land. And he calls us into battle to gain what is ours. The rest of the land becomes the fruit of victory. And we share in that fruit when we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's when we share in the fruit. We must rest in the work that Christ completed on the cross. The victorious Christian is the one who lives his life in Christ. And if you're living in your life in Christ, you live above the storms. Or you're sensitive to sorrow and you're sensitive to the trouble that others may have. Your heart breaks for others who are going through hard times and hard trials. And you have a willingness to trust in your loving heart. In God's heart. You show your heart to them, which is really God's heart, and you wait for his appearance in the midst of any difficulty. My biggest prayer when people are going through difficulties is that God would appear in their midst. That God would be there in the midst of them. And they would feel his presence and they would know that he's there to comfort them and to guide them and to help them through. That should be our biggest prayer in difficulty. The person resting on the cross. That's what this person is. The victorious Christian is resting in forgiveness which was accomplished on the cross. The victorious Christian is resting in victory, which was accomplished on the cross. 
We are resting in the total victory that was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the victory was won. As a child of God, we're secure because the victory had been won. And now our life, Paul says, is hid in Christ. He and I are one, just as Christ prayed in John 17, when he prayed to the Father, that they would be one in me, and you and I would be one, and we would all be one together. The victorious Christian understands that he is one with Christ in death and one with Christ in resurrection, where the abundant life is. The victorious Christian trusts and is secure because he knows that there is no circumstance, no trouble, no trial, no testing that can ever touch me until it has gone through God. That has been sifted through his finger and past Jesus Christ, and it goes right on to me. And if it has come this far, if they've allowed it to happen in my life, then there must be a far greater purpose in it. The Victoria Christian refuses to panic when these situations happen, as scary as they may be. But the victorious Christian lifts up his eyes to heaven from whence his help comes from. As a victorious Christian, we know where our help comes from. We accept everything as coming from the throne of God. Good, bad, whatever. We accept it as coming from the throne of God, very much like Job. One commentator said this, No trial will ever disarm me. No sorrow will ever disturb me. No circumstance will ever cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joyful victory my Lord has won. When we are resting like this, when you are resting in this victory, you will have strength upon strength, and people will notice. People will notice that you're resting in the Lord, and they will want to know, Why are you resting? And you can tell them that you're resting in the completed work on the cross. You're working in harmony with God according to his purposes. Psalm 37, verse 4, says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Submit your will to God. And he gives you your heart's desires. Why? Because he whose heart and life is surrendered to God, living on this principle that it is finished on the cross, will only desire God's perfect will in his life. And that is where the rest comes. And that's where the fruit of the victory comes. When God's perfect will is being exhibited in your life. Never look to yourself for this rest from the battle. It can only come from trusting in the Lord. This is the rest that we all long for. This soulful rest. This soulful rest that has been given to us by the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. May we ever grow closer to that. May we ever realize that in our lives. And may we ever exhibit that in our lives. When we see others going through a trial or when we're going through a trial. May that be what people see in us. So that we can tell them we're resting in our mighty Savior who died on a cross for us. When we tell them that, they know. They hear it. God tells us in Joshua 1.9 to be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What encouragement that is. God is with us wherever we go. Just as he was with his people, the Israelites, on their journey into the promised land. 
Do you know the love and strength the Lord can give you? If you haven't yet discovered the power of a personal relationship with Jesus, we'd like to tell you more. Please give us a call at 609-884-5821 and we'll be happy to introduce you to the one who will change your life forever. You can also send us an email at info at capewatchradio.com. That's info at capewatchradio.com. We'd also like to invite you to get involved in a church community to help fuel your passion for Jesus and support you on this journey. If you are in the Cape May, New Jersey area, why not come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May? We'd love to have you join us for our time of fellowship, worship, and Bible study with Pastor Dave. We gather together every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. You'll find our address and driving directions by visiting our website at capewatchradio.com or by giving us a call at 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in to Cape Watch Radio. Pastor Dave will continue walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Joshua. When you join us next time, may God bless you today and always.